Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. First, actually, we'll be in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. I'm going to walk through um, a few chapters. We're going to start in verse chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 14, and then we're going to walk our way through the next couple chapters there. Today we begin a series entitled 2020 Vision Stewardship. So we start our stewardship month as uh, our custom, kind of our tradition, what I've been able to preach through, through the month of January. And so I encourage you as you walk through this next month with me that you pray about um, that stewardship what is stewardship? What does that look like? I think today we're going to start off looking individually. We're going to look at each individual heart and our lives and how we view God and what we uh, what is the groundwork for stewardship. And then next week we'll become a little bit more practical. And then we want to look at that as a church too, um, as a whole church. What does stewardship look like? And so I look forward to walking through this month with you. Trust that you had a good new year, beginning to your new year. Uh, We had a great time, those who came uh, for our New Year's Eve celebration here. We uh, played uh, some games, had a a fun, fun time. Um, Some stuck it out with us the whole time until midnight. And uh, if you're anything like me, you're a little bit sleep deprived trying to catch up. Uh, It seems to hit me um, not the next day, but the two days after, and it seems like um, I can't catch up as quick. Used to be, as a kid, we do these all-nighters, you know. As Even as a youth pastor, it was so much fun doing an all-nighter, and I love all-nighters now because I get to come play with the kids, and then I go home. Pastor David gets to stay with them, but... Um, Man, all nighter, you stay, you sleep the next day, you get up, you're cruising as a kid. I tell you, it's rough getting older. You just don't bounce back as much. And so uh, if you're anything like me, if you're fighting it, that's okay. Glad that you're here today. Um, and, and I pray that the Lord will allow you to soak in what he wants you to hear. And I always tell people, if you're going to nod, nod off, uh, just don't, just give in. Okay, don't fight it. I don't want any neck soreness. All right, just lay back, lean on your the person next to you. It's okay. Um, that'll be all right. Except for my son. <laughs> Second Chronicles. We're in chapter fourteen. I'm going to read to you chapter fourteen and fifteen. If you'd follow along with me, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version um, of the Bible. We're going to look at King Asa and how God used him in some of the practical application for our own lives as we think about our relationship with him. Chapter 14, Second Chronicles, will you follow along with me? Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram 
commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out all of the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. Let me pause just for a second. Something that I learned as I was studying for our time together here. Uh, verse 5 says that he, he also took out, out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. One of the things I realized, I learned as I was reading, uh, there are some scholars who believe these high places weren't necessarily places of false worship, of, of false gods. These high places were actually places of worship to the true living God. But see, God didn't call Israel to worship in different places. God called Israel to worship in one place, at the temple in Jerusalem. And so here we see uh, King Asa, or Asa, is removing some of those, all right? And he took out the incense altars because there is one place of worship for the people of Israel. A little background that's going to help us as we move forward. Verse 4, he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah, or Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marisha. If I mispronounce these words. If you're new here, uh, I just want to say welcome. Uh, my gift is not English. Sometimes I wonder why God chose me to even speak. Um, I make up my own words. And so um, if you read something that isn't uh, there, it's, you're probably right and I'm probably wrong. So I apologize. Verse 10, as Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines in the battle of the valley of Zephorth and Marasseth. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Just to pause for a second again. Don't miss this, all right? This is 580,000 men, 580, so a little bit over a half a million men. 580,000 men are almost doubled against the Ethiopian army. They have 1,300,000. They also have chariots, so they get to move <laughs> quick. So almost double the army, King Asa going out to fight the Ethiopian army. Let's see what happens. Verse 12. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. 
the men of Judah carried away very much spoil. Pause for a second. A million, 300 men, how many of them survived? Let me ask that again. One million, 300 men of the Ethiopian army. What does the Bible tell us? How many of them survived? Thank you. Verse 14, they attacked all the cities around Gerar, and the fear of the Lord was upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels, and they returned to Jerusalem. A great victory, wasn't it? An awesome victory. And who provided that? God did. All right? It, it, the reading, the writer helps us to see very clearly that it wasn't a strategy of King Asa. It wasn't that their men were more wise or stronger. The writer puts the emphasis upon who won the victory. And it's very clear. Leaves out a lot of details, but gives us enough information that helps us to see why did they win because of one, the Lord. All right, King Asa prayed, he asked the Lord for help, and the Lord provided that, and he delivered them. Let's keep reading. Chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azara, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will find, be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of disease or distress. But take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, uh, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered in Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa, they sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Even Micah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she 
had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Before we jump into chapter 16, let me review with us what, uh, what's taken place here. Year 1 through 10 of Asa is peace. He experiences peace. Then the Ethiopian king comes and he is defeated. 580,000 versus 1,300,000. The spirit of God was upon uh, Azariah and he came and he said to Asa, to the people, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And then he gives some history in chapter 15, verse 3. He goes and reviews the past. Your Israel was without the true God. That doesn't mean that God fled away. It means Israel turned from the true God to false gods. They were without a teaching priest, and they were without law. We're going to come back to those three things in a little bit. Year 15, we get to the covenant. Here is this covenant and oath to seek the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 14. We see that Asa even takes the step of removing uh, the mother queen here and uh, Micah. Because his heart, the scriptures say, Asa's heart was wholly true all of his days. As I studied through this, I wrestled a little bit because of what we're going to see in chapter 16. How can this be true, that the heart of Asa was wholly true all of his days? How can it say that the king David, the one great king that all Israel knew, was a man who wholly loved the Lord, who, who God looked at, and through Jesus, his line would come, Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, that David was looked upon with such high favor of God, and yet he would do such detestable things as not just sleeping with his best friend's girl, but that he would murder one of his mighty men. So we wrestle with this as the scriptures say that David wholly loved the Lord. And here King Asa, as we read, was wholly true all of his days. Well, we're going to look here in a little bit, year 36, but year 15 through 35, again, was filled with peace, just like those first 10 years we see year 15 through 35, King Asa experienced the peace around the land because he had trusted in the Lord. He had wholly and completely relied upon the Lord. Now, let's dig in here to chapter 16. This is where it gets juicy, and this is where our application will come. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, Baasha, 
king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or to coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Pause for a second. There's a split kingdom here over all of Israel. There's Israel and there's Judah. The king of Israel builds in the midst of Judah uh, a fortified city so that Judah can no longer trade and have the things that they need without um, people and other nations coming through first Israel. And so this, this godless king has set up a fortified city and now Judah is in trouble because they can't get anything because now Israel is, is uh, the one that everything must go through in order for Judah to get what they need. Let's keep going. Verse 2, then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadid, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you to you silver and gold. Go, go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadid listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Aijon, Dan, Abelmam, and the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the armies of the king of Syria have escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars." Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David, and they laid him on a bear, and there had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor." So we see here, year 36, Basha, the king of Israel, 
builds, builds in Ramah uh, against Judah. And unfortunately, Asa relied upon the king of Syria and not the Lord. And Hanani, uh, Hanani rebuked him. Um, because of this, um, Hanani said, you will now experience wars. Your days of peace are over. Year 39, so three years go on since then. Year 39, there is uh, severe disease that King Asa has. The scripture tells us that, unfortunately, he doesn't seek the Lord's healing and his help. He seeks physicians. And in year 41, two years later, he dies. Don't misread the text. Don't pull things out and spiritualize them here. Be careful. Um, let me encourage you. I'm not saying, um, the text is not saying that you shouldn't go see doctors or that physicians aren't helpful. Don't, don't you dare do that, okay? All right? Dr. Noble will be very upset with me, all right? Um, along with some other doctors. Um, so let's be careful. When we read the text in its entirety of these three chapters, we see a picture. The picture is Asa is following the Lord. He is trusting God in difficult times and even in the good times. We see him honoring and trusting God. In the difficulties of the war against, against the Ethiopians and the Libyans, God provides because Asa cries out to God for help. He wholly trusts in him. Unfortunately, when a few years later, he experiences some turmoil and the free trade is now uh, threatened, he unfortunately seeks to do what he feels is best. When we think about stewardship, I think that we must be careful that, that as we look at living each day, and it isn't just about our money or just about our time, just about our gifts, how God's gifted us, I believe it must start at our heart. There is a phrase here that is used in chapter 16, verse 9, which is actually the verse of the month that I'm encouraging us to memorize and I think it would be pretty cool if next year when we hung out all the banners for the year um, that you could be able to re, uh, recite each one of those verses. So let me throw out that, that challenge to you. Um, this verse in chapter 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. This phrase, uh, it's Laban. Uh, Levav Shalom, Levav Shalom, and it means, that first word, Levav, means inner man, the heart. There's a verse that's probably familiar to you that you've heard. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, that's the same word here, the inward man, the heart, the Levav. All right, the second part of that, shalom, means complete, undivided, or whole. 
So putting together the wholeheartedly devoted, God is looking for the one who is wholeheartedly devoted to him. That's our challenge today. When we look at the scriptures, we see that this same phrase is what David says to Solomon as he's passing the torch in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. He uses this phrase saying, Solomon, you need to be wholeheartedly committed and devoted to God. He then prays this over Solomon. He asks the Lord, help Israel in chapter 29, verse 9 of 1 Chronicles. Lord, allow Israel to be wholeheartedly committed to you. We see this phrase used of Caleb and Joshua as the spies were sent out to view the land that God had promised to them, two came back, ten viewed it as overwhelming that they already were defeated. Two said, no, our God can deliver us. And in response, God says, these two are wholeheartedly devoted to me. Asa his great-grandfather. You know who he is? King Solomon. King Solomon, it was used, and he prayed this, Lord, help me and help Israel, help us in 1 Kings 8.61, help us to be wholeheartedly devoted. Hezekiah prays this in 2 Kings 20, verse 3. Lord, help us, Israel, He prays to be wholeheartedly devoted to you. David prays this in the Psalms, Psalm 86, verse 12. When I am wholeheartedly devoted to you, I praise you, he says. We see from this king that he started well. And I don't know where you are in life. Maybe in life you didn't start well with the Lord. Maybe you're trying to catch up. That's okay. Um, Asa started well. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, I think this is a challenge to us, not only to start well, but to finish well. To be wholeheartedly devoted to God. And this pursuit of God is not pursuing his righteousness so that we may obtain his favor. Remember the time of communion that we just celebrated. This pursuit of being wholeheartedly devoted to God is not trying to earn God's love. God loves us as much as he does today as he did when we first believed that he will when we spend eternity in heaven with him. This pursuit of wholeheartedly Devoted to God means that he is the one that my life, my foundation is set upon. When we think about Israel, there are issues that they had and even some of the kings as we read throughout even the book of Chronicles, the good kings and the bad kings, what separated them? It was their idolatry. Would they put other gods before the one true living God? Israel struggled and wrestled when they allowed other foreign nations to bring their gods in and where then they turned to these other gods. And so when we look at idolatry today, I don't think many of you, and maybe you do, 
I don't think many of you have little images of, you know, chiseled out or rock, wood, stone images of little gods that you have in your house. Maybe you do. I would encourage you, if you do, that you get rid of those, all right? I don't think most of us have those. And so sometimes when we read in the Old Testament about those who um, were not wholly committed to God, devoted to God, who worshiped other idols, we think of that. And I think rightfully so, we need to be mindful of that. But let me challenge you this morning. I believe that there are times where we do not fully accept the full character of who God is. And when we do that, we make idols. We want God to be in our image then and not in his image. So do you pick and choose certain characteristics of God and then do you deny or reject others? There are some who struggle with how God chooses, right? There are some who say, why would God choose some and not choose others? I do not know. I am not God. But I believe in his character. And I believe if God chose, he did so out of all of his goodness and all of his righteousness. So I cannot reject that character of God just because I may not understand it or not like it. When God looks upon sin and at times judges sin, when we look at the New Testament and as there are two who bring um, the price of their land that they sold and they lie about it and God strikes them dead upon the spot, how do you deal with that? How do you justify a loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving God with a God who would do such as that? Let me ask you a question. Do you need to fully understand God and all of his characteristics in order to trust him and obey him and follow him? We cannot fully know God. And we must be careful not to reject the characteristics of God that we may not like or that we may not understand. God is perfect and he is complete. Do you like convenience? Let me ask that again. This is where you get to respond. I'll ask four questions, okay? Do you like convenience? Yes, I do. I like my microwave. It is very nice. I don't have to build a fire. I don't have to get the iron cast the cast iron pot out. I can throw it in and in 30 seconds it is warm. I like convenience. We like convenience in our walk with God, sometimes more than the difficulty that God wants us to walk through. Do you like practicalities? Do you like to be practical? Yeah. Do you know that God allows trivial things to come into our life to help us to trust and depend upon him? 
And yet we will reason in our Western mindset of why it is more important to be practical than it is to be obedient. Do you like to think that you are not too bad? You might not use this word that you're a saint, but we'd like to think that we're not as bad as a few other people, right? We like to think that we're more instead of being devoted and being committed and doing the things that God calls us to do, like waking early in the morning and meditating in his word. Any of you like being stubborn? If you say no, you are a liar. Sometimes I feel like I like being stubborn just because there's something in me that's stubborn and likes that feeling of thinking, no, I am right. Versus having a yielded spirit. One of the things that stands out to me in this last year was uh, a quote that I had heard that stuck with me, that if I truly love my wife, I should lose more arguments than I win. You let that sink in a little bit. If I truly love my wife, a yielded spirit, I don't always have to win, even if I am right. Just for the record, let me make this clear. Um, I'm only right about 1% of the time, so... What God calls us to is a reliance. We see this in King Asa. He was relying upon the Lord. God calls us to rely upon him. Reliance is a dependence on or a trust in. We must ask ourselves sometimes, though, are we obedient out of necessity or are we obedient because we love? I wish to do as I please. And often I will attract those who agree with me. Think about this. Are you willing to give up your opinions and your ways for the peace of God? It's safer to listen to advice and to take it in than it is to give it. But my pride and my arrogance seeks my way. When we look at the people of Israel... And in chapter 15, we get a glimpse of why they struggled. Before King Asa, they struggled because they didn't trust the one true living God. They didn't have a God, it says. There is one God, and our God is not one who we get to define. You don't get to define who God is. There is one true living God, and he is defined in this book called the Bible, and it's called God's word, not Aaron's word, not your word, but God's word. And God is defined by himself, not you and I. He tells us who he is. He tells us his attributes. And so just as the people struggled 
that they were without the true God, I ask you today, who is your God? Is it the true and living God? The second, we see that they were a long time without a teaching priest. So I ask you, who teaches you? Who teaches you? Let me throw this out as a thought. I believe our teaching priest is Jesus. He is the high priest. And when we look at what he taught and how he lived his life, we are to follow his teachings, to listen and to obey the one priest who was above all other priests because he was perfect. The teaching priest, Jesus, tells us how to live life. Are you listening to the teacher? Third, we see that they were without law. It doesn't say without the law. It says they were without law. So what law do you follow today? Is it a bunch of rules and regulations? Is it taking the Bible out of context and saying, I must obey this in order to make sure that God is happy with me? Or I must do this so that I maybe could go to heaven? The true law of the Lord is that we will love him and that we will love others. The whole Bible is sufficient to follow. I love Psalm 1 that, that reads in a very simple way, and I'd encourage you. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what law do you follow? This phrase is something that I will continue to wrestle with and that I will continue to dig as my journey throughout this next year. Levav Shalom. Wholeheartedly devoted. Because as I see it, that's what God desires. Verse 9 of chapter 16 says that God is looking all around for those who will be this wholeheartedly devoted to him. Will he find you? This is the basis. This is the foundation of stewardship. Because if I'm not wholeheartedly devoted to him, everything else doesn't matter. The sacrificing, the giving, all of that, it's no good. We may intend for the right things, but if my heart is not completely devoted to the one and true God, then it's all for naught. Our 2020 vision starts here for stewardship. God is seeking to find some who will levav shalom, who will wholeheartedly devote themselves to him. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Are you wholeheartedly committed to him? What does that look like? That's for you to explore as you walk through this week. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for how much you love us, how much you provide. Thank you for your word. 
I pray, Lord, that the words that have been shared here today, that you would take the good and the right and that you would multiply them and that you would allow the seed to germinate and the fruit to bear. Lord, the ones that you didn't want may just be gone. Lord, it is about pleasing you. Lord, we owe you our life. Paul puts it in a way that allows us to see it in a very real way, that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Lord, that, that we, in, in, in living, we give you our lives completely. But Lord, as it's been said, the problem with living sacrifices is they often crawl off the altar Lord, may it not be true of us. May we continue to offer ourselves wholly, completely committed to you. And may we allow you to do that work in us so that you may be most glorified because you deserve all the glory. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. Amen.